0: Come in and just uh, wanting to know God's will and ask us men to pray that the Lord would uh, lead him and making the right choices and the right steps and I believe the Lord has done that and what a beautiful building this is, the nicest churches in the county and, uh, and it's just a blessing to be here with you and, and, and I so love you pastor, I don't know if you know what you got, I think you do, it looks like y'all are right behind him, I remember when he looked like the first picture. Has it. <laughs> So if you need a witness when you go to the suing, brother, you come and see me. I sat with you. Uh, so I appreciate him. I remember a message he preached there in our hermeneutics class that still resonates with me. See, that's what it pays to, you know, serve the Lord and do the little things. You never know who's looking and watching you. And he probably never knew that what he meant to me. And I remember that message, some battles you shouldn't fight. And I live with that message to this day. And, uh, and it's helped me. It's kept me out of some trouble and some different things, you know, uh, some battles we shouldn't fight. So I remember that message this day. Genesis chapter number 12. I got my family with me tonight. My wife is here and my four girls. And, uh, you know, whoever wrote the song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, number one, they didn't go to church. Number two, they wasn't trying to get four girls ready and get to church. Y'all know what that's like. But I enjoy them. Uh, you know, I tell where I go that the only reason people have me at their church, or the, the church has me over at Open Doors, that my wife plays the piano, you know, and they get a piano player, and I just come along. But I appreciate her and her faithfulness in the ministry uh, with us. And uh, so I'm just, uh, it's my first message, or actually second, I was preaching this morning, but I had my tonsils taken out uh, two weeks ago. And people in the church, and they'd been me about a year, but people the oh, yeah, you get that done. It's just, you know... It, you get over it two, three days. <laughs> two weeks later, I'm just now getting over it. So I went to them and said, how did you get over it? Oh, I was five years old when I had mine taken out. So, <laughs> they didn't tell me that part of it. So uh, I appreciate God and appreciate God's people and feel at home here. And uh, Joe, I appreciate you, buddy. Love you. Your, your, your girl is over there. It's tearing the piano up. That's a blessing. I remember her when she was small. Genesis chapter number 12 And I'll talk to you a little bit about faith. The subject is the life of faith. I'm going to look at a few verses with the life of Abraham and give you just a few thoughts. We'll be done. You know, as I think about faith and uh, as we come to Genesis chapter 12, let me bring you up to speed of what you already know. The Bible's an awesome book. It is God's divine revelation to us. And when you study Genesis from Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 11, you have almost about 2,000 years that transpire. Uh, And you'll see that the most of history that's found in the book of Genesis is the last 300 years that starts with Genesis chapter 12, which was a pivotal point in the book of Genesis. And if you go to the New Testament, you'll see why. Because God calls Abraham, and you see for the first time, you see that man was sojourning. And it said he was a pilgrim and a stranger and walking. And God made a covenant with Abraham. Even though we are not Israel, God has got some principles there. I think we'll look back and draw our love about this life of faith. And man, what an awesome life it is. I appreciate God saving, uh, saving me and put me in this journey as we come to verse number one. It says, Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I'm not preaching prophetically. I'm getting ready to start a prophecy series at my church called Waiting Patiently. But I'm telling you, Jesus is about to come. So you just keep your eyes looking up. And what you look at is Jerusalem. I say that to preface this. This covenant is still in effect. The church has not replaced Israel. We are here. We're going to be right out of here, friend. And God's going to pick right back up on that timetable with the nation of Israel. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem and you see things happening. I don't know if you know, but around the Dead Sea, there's these, uh, just in the last two months, these massive holes that's been building because the Dead Sea's drying out. And they're about to pipeline from the Red Sea over to the Dead Sea and pump in that fresh water in there. Do you know that the Bible says that's exactly going to happen at the time Jesus is going to come? Amen. Ah, it's exciting. and Keep your head up, child of God. Stay, stay encouraged. He's a covenant. But he made a, he made a covenant here. And God's still keeping that covenant. Verse 4, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah and his wife and Lot his brother and all the substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan. To the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land and to the place of Shechem, to the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was there in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, "Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord and appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into the mountain of the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ha'ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the lord and called the name of, uh, of uh, the lord and abraham journeyed going on steel toward the south but help of the lord I want to talk to you on this subject the life of faith you know faith is interesting faith is something the americanized faith you know uh, my uh, mother-in-law we, we She just recently rewrote the song. You know, we just sort of have fun with this, and uh, it's count your blessings one by one. But she said and said, count your failures (laughs) and then one by one, see what you have done. You know, and a lot of times we get there as God's people. But I've rewritten the song with American Christianity and American faith. Y'all know the old song, "Living by Faith." I'm living by faith. You know, well, uh, I've, I've sort of rewritten that the Americanized version. I'm living by faith i got padlocks on my doors. My freezer is full. I've got gas in all three of my cars. From all harm, safe here in the USA, I'm living by faith in my 401K. You know, a lot of times we place our faith in the wrong things. We're going to see that God is going to move a man. Out of Mesopotamia, when you study your history, Mesopotamia, where God calls him from, was known as the Fertile Crescent. We find in secular history as well as biblical history, not one famine. We're going to see in our text, in verse number 10, it's the first time you find the word famine in the Bible. God is going to call a man from the Fertile Crescent and take him to a place that's dry, barren, and there's famine. Not only there's famine, we're going to find there's foe in the land. You say, "What are you trying to say? God brought Abraham out of a place and put him where well, the only thing he had was to look up and trust God. And God a lot of times puts us in a place where our backs and we trust Him. I mean, it's a life of faith. Well, we're looking up. I mean, he goes right in the middle of famine and foe. God put him right there to teach you and I a lesson from God's word about the life of faith. There's three things I want to share with you about faith, and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to know that it starts with a call. The number two thing I want you to know about it is it's satisfied with a tent. God called a man out here go and said that you're going to live under a tent, and he was satisfied with it, and then we're going to see it settled at an altar, so it starts with a call. You know, as we come, now we're about uh, roughly 260 years past the Tower of Babel. It seems like uh, God is, is, you know, turned man over when you study uh, up to Genesis chapter 6. One uh, black preacher I was listening to with the urban effect, he said in the, in the beginning, God moved and He created man. Then he said, and then the devil moved. And He plunged man into sin. Then he said, God moved again. He said he made him a coat out of sheepskins and made a covering for him. And then he said, and then the uh, devil moved again and plunged man in just gross sin there in Genesis chapter 6. But then God moved and sent him a blueprint to an ark. And Noah found. And he said, but then the devil moved again, plunged the people into idolatry. And then he said, and then God moved again. And said, checkmate and sent forth Jesus. Bound for a woman. And, you know, we win in this thing. In this, and we find that this first thing about it starts with a call. I was preaching this morning where Abraham, it's, or uh, uh, Paul said he obtained mercy in First Timothy chapter 1. He said, I obtained mercy. You say, what is that talking about? That God showed him mercy on the road to Damascus. God came and it's a merciful thing when God starts speaking to your heart. You come in, you know, think about it. The men that stood around, Paul didn't hear what God was saying, but Paul was hearing loud and clear. You may be in here tonight, and the person beside you may be thinking about lunch here in a minute, or thinking about what they're going to do tomorrow, but God honing in on you. Do you know that's mercy? you know that faith starts with a call? The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 1, It's interesting how Stephen, as he was preaching, he said the God of glory appeared. Literally, he moved. I mean, God has a plan, folks, and he's going to work it out. You look around and I see the corruption of society. I see the corruption uh, of a government in Washington. I see the corruption. I mean, I start looking at that stuff and, and, and I got, you know, some friends that keep those things in the Pentagon. I see where the Muslim Brotherhood's writing the FBI uh, books and they're writing the CIA and home. Oh, it just frustrates me. I'm thinking, God, where's this going? i tell you where it's going. It's going right the way God wants it to go. <laughs> I mean, He's in control and He's in charge. The God of glory, Acts chapter 7, verse number 2, appeared unto our father Abraham. I'll tell you, the life of faith, folks, starts with a call. It starts with God coming and introducing Himself to you. You remember the time, uh, maybe the moment when you got saved? I remember 1995 well. I remember sitting, there's about 30 of us over at New Beginning Baptist Church under Daniel Buchanan. And I remember sitting back there, and the Lord all of a sudden started stringing my bell. All of a sudden, I started thinking about life and death. And, and all of a sudden, I wasn't happy anymore. All of a sudden, I was just, I don't know, God started dealing with me. I started just thinking about stuff that I wouldn't think about before. And all of a sudden, I started hearing the message. I started hearing the gospel. I started hearing preaching. I started hearing things about Jesus, and Jesus died. And the Holy Spirit sort of made that real that He died, but He died for me. I remember that call of salvation. And man, I remember answering that call July uh, the 30th, 1995. I, remember, I don't even remember the subject he was preaching on. The only reason I know now is I went back and got the tape and listened to it. And he was preaching out of Proverbs chapter 1 about the call of God. And I just remember that being there. And here Abraham received the call. As Stephen said, in Acts chapter 7, the God of glory appeared to him. And aren't you glad that he come and rattled your cage? Started this life of faith. Two things about the call. Number one, it is a personal call. He went, uh, as Stephen said, as we find here in uh, Genesis chapter 12, now the Lord had said unto Abraham, it is a personal call. You don't get in on the coattails of anyone else. God comes and personally calls you. Now I'm so glad he's a personal God. I mean God comes and speaks to us and, and man he's got the blanket of the gospel. That's the reason the gospel there in First Timothy chapter one, I think verse number eleven, it's the glorious gospel. And Paul said, because what the law could not do, grace coming up, it's glorious because man, there's nothing in our hands. We bring it simply to the cross. We claim it's what Jesus done for us. And he died for the whole world. Whosoever can give himself. And there's a blanket call. And I trust that you've responded to that. It's a personal call. Don't get called because you, you know, you're not saved because your husband's saved. You're not saved because your, your mom is saved. You're not saved because you know, you've been baptized. You're saved when you answer the call of salvation. When God deals with your heart. Man, we see that it was a personal call here with Abraham. And, and we see in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord appeared. Genesis 15, it says, and he believed God. First time you find the word believe in the Bible. It's relating with Abraham responding to the call of God. Believe me, a lot of times we make that too hard. A lot of times we make salvation uh, something that's got to be earned. Uh, you know, so a lot of times, you know, the devil, the Bible says he blinds the eyes of them. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul said that he goes out and is trying to preach the gospel. It says because those who are in darkness, the, the devil's blinded their eyes. And he tries to make a man think that he's got to clean up. Or he's got to, you know, give me a week. Let me get some things worked out. You know, there's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. It's trusting what Jesus done on Calvary's cross. And he, here we see Abraham responded personally to the call of God. It was a precise call. Not only a personal call, it was precise. He said, there's three things I want you to do. I want you to get out of this country. He said, I want you to get away from the kindred and go into a land. You know, this call of faith, when you answer it, you change territories. You change sides. And here, Abraham, it was a precise call. Get up out of Mesopotamia, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you, and I'll give you. And I'm glad that I changed different directions, and God, to do this life, it's a precise call. There's a few things about uh, in Genesis chapter 11 where he detoured, but i want to pass over that. Not only is it a precise call, it's a persistent call. I'm glad that God doesn't throw the clay away. I'm glad that we serve a God that'll leave the 99 go after the one. Who would do that? Yes. I mean, who would do that? Don't you think about that when you uh, when you look at uh, uh, some of the shepherds uh, back then? Timothy Keller said nobody would do that. Uh, He wrote a book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. I mean, who would leave 99? That's the bulk of your wealth. And go after the one. That one that kept going off, he, he deserved it. He got on, but I still got 99. Not our God. <laughs> you one goes wandering, he leaves, the, he leaves the 99, and they're safe in it, but he goes and finds the one. We've got a God whose call is persistent. And I appreciate that about God. And so it starts with a call. And I trust that each one of you have answered that call. And if you hadn't answered that call to salvation, you can do it tonight. What an awesome homecoming that it would be. And uh, there's coming a homecoming. But there can be one tonight. All you got to do is trust Him. And uh, if He's calling on you. So it starts with a call. The life of faith, number two, it's satisfied with a tent. Notice it says as he goes down through there, Abraham is called. He leaves... Uh, uh, Mesopotamia goes into Haran he leaves Haran 75 years old and it says that he goes he passed through verse number 6 he comes where the Canaanite was there the Lord appeared unto him and you see in verse number 8 and he removed from thence into the place pitched his tent now this is an interesting thing you'll find in uh, chapter 11 in verse number 27 that Abraham had two brothers Nahor and Haran You find in Genesis, uh, where's that, 24, verse number 10, and 24, verse number 18, that those two men built cities. They got cities named after them. They went and built cities, but not Abraham. See, see, it's satisfied with a tent, for the life of faith, folks, doesn't put your stakes in deep here. See, God was teaching Abraham that he's a citizen of another country. Amen. And we're not to get our stakes too deep in here. Because, see, a lot of times you and I, as God's people, it's easy to do that, isn't it? Like we're gonna reside here forever, and as the you know the ages roll, we'll be here. No, 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 no. We're just passing through. That's right. And God is teaching Abram that He's just passing through. He wouldn't let him build a city, he wouldn't let him build a house. You're gonna be in a tent. And that is teaching us that the life of faith is satisfied. And see it, and for Abram to be able to do that, as he's called, see, your eyes got to be distant. You got to understand that payday don't always come on Friday for the child of God. You got to understand you stay faithful. You stay faithful when you don't feel like doing it. You stay faithful when it's difficult. You stay faithful when things and see the you don't see this on a lot of people's refrigerator, but you know where the Bible says those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. <laughs> That's not a refrigerator verse, <laughs> but it's the truth. And you stay faithful in that you know why? Because your eyes on another country. You realize and Abraham is teaching us with the life of faith to be satisfied with a tent. Listen, you pull in here on a moped, shout the victory. <laughs> A lot of people don't have... Don't worry about it. You say, well, so-and-so, and then they got a new car. Well, praise the Lord. Shout the victory over them. Be satisfied. Here in America, it's difficult to be satisfied with what you got. Everybody trying to live up to the Joneses. Listen, I tell my folks, and I see them bury themselves in the debt. I see it coming. But I preach at them. I mean, you know, I mean, I ain't trying to get in their business. But I'm just trying to say, man... You know, uh, $600 ain't worth burying you, and next thing you know, you and your wife fighting all the time because oh, it's not worth it. Man, God's letting us know right here, man, you could be satisfied with what you got. I mean, there's a lot of practical stuff here that if we just obey the Lord, even in the little things, God can help us. And because uh, a lot of stress comes from when you start burying our tents and burying it in here and start living for this, hey, stuff out here, it's fading anyway. I'm at a new car, a rock's going to hit it. <laughs> You know, if it's like me, I remember old, I, I bought a Tahoe. I've been wanting the Tahoe like since I was 12. All right. So I saved up. Seriously, about 10 years it took me to save up and I bought one. This thing was nice. I mean, it was it was very, very nice. I took that thing and some of my students I teach uh, at the Heritage Christian Academy, coach the basketball team. So a few of my players that graduated uh, got me some carowinds tickets and we went down there. So I parked I'm, I'm talking about, I was six foot from the next car, I and mean, I was way off, you know, took up a, When I come out, somebody had just tore that thing up with their door. I just remember that just tearing me up. I mean, I just got all been out of shape over that. And, uh, you know, we can get attached to stuff. You say, what'd you do? I fixed it and I sold it and bought a minivan. <laughs> Four kids got a minivan. But it's easy to get attached to stuff, isn't it? You ever go into Lowe's? I love going in there. Man, I love going in there. I like to going in the tools section. But man, you can just go in there and say, man, I need that. I need that. Now, if you ever go in Lowe's with my father-in-law, he goes in with a mission. He's like Brother Stein's here, man. Just very, I mean, you know, the state when he goes, he's going in for something. Yeah, that's it. He's going to go there and he's going to get this. And he'd go in. It's almost like he hears. I don't know. It's like it's a mission. And like he hears, you know, I must go to all 12 and go to the fourth row down and get. It. And I go in with him and you know, if I see somebody I know, I'm like, man, my brother, how you doing? Nah, he's <laughs> he all the mission going. But you know, it's easy where we live to get discontent. Yes. You know, contentment with God this is great gain. Amen. Man, God is teaching Abraham, leave all of that stuff in Mesopotamia. And I want you to seek after and I want you to go to a land that you don't know. You're going to live under a tent and be satisfied. And I tell you, when it comes to the point where Lot looked out and seen some things, Abraham was satisfied. You say, why was there not attraction uh, from Abraham to Sodom where all this stuff? Because he was satisfied with God. you know God will satisfy you? Matters of fact, there's people I know that have very little but satisfied with God and the happiest people I know. Some of the people I know, I mean, they're on, I mean, they're trying to take something to get happy and all this. I mean, look at half the Hollywood crap. They got a lot of stuff that a lot of people want, and they got the personal strengths that goes around with them. It don't satisfy. Well, I'm trying to tell you this life of faith, folks, man. Uh, be satisfied with what you got, because when you realize your contentment's not in things, but it's in God, it's in Him. It's in your relationship with Him. It doesn't matter what we drive around. And satisfy. That is the life of faith. God will satisfy you in the deepest longings of your heart. Hebrews 11.9 says, By faith He sojourned in the land of promise. There's nothing like God giving you a promise and man, you marching on it. You stacking your grounds there. That's satisfying. That's stuff that this world can't give you. And God give you a promise. and God give you a, a, a passion and a purpose. That this world can't give you. Hebrews 11.13, he confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And we need to understand that. That we're passing through, man. Don't let a lot of stuff... I know we got to live. And I'm not saying don't try to go for promotions. I'm not saying try not to better yourself. I'm not saying kids don't go to college if you want to be an engineer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying your main purpose. You come an engineer, glorify God in your job. One of my former players went to state. He's over the whole... So if you get mad when you go to Blowing Rock because they are taking a long time, one of my former players is an engineer over that. And man, he loves God. He's serving God as an engineer and, and different things. So understand, uh, balance that out with the purpose of God that God has for you. Hebrews eleven sixteen. but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And man, we need to understand this is as bad as it gets for the child of God. Yes. It only gets better from here on out. And God can give you the satisfaction, contentment that you need. You don't need a new wife. You need your relationship right with God. You don't need a new husband. You need to get your relationship right. Well, God will satisfy you. And so praise the Lord, it's satisfied with a tent. Not only does the life of faith start with a call, it is satisfied with a tent, but also understand it is settled at an altar. Now, there's two things that I've already mentioned that I want you to know. In this life of faith, doesn't mean that it's going to be a, a smooth ride. See, as he come in, as I've already mentioned, notice verse 6, and the Canaanite was in the land. God brought him out and stuck him right in the middle of foes. I mean, right in the middle of folk. Matters of fact, it's Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says there are seven great nations that's there. And guess what? They're greater than you are. I mean, you go, there was the Hittites, the, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Havitites, the Persertites, They were all there. The Canaanites was there. They were the enemies of God's people. And God put him right in the middle. Now, why would he do that? I'll tell you, it's to teach us the life of faith. That our security, as to what David said, that his protection, as Saul was hunting him down, God was showing him that God is his buckler, God is his high tower, God is his protector, God is his shield. And we see that right in the middle of the promised land, a lot of times we think God's perfect will, it shouldn't be hard, it shouldn't be difficult, it shouldn't have a hard time. Right in the middle of God's will for Abraham was foes. The Canaanite was there fighting against him. But he was right in the middle of God's will. Matters of fact, it was due to the foe and the famine that he left God's will. He got out of uh, where God wanted to go, to go to Egypt. You know, the times of famine is not to flee. I think it was... I'm trying to think. C.H. McIntosh said that no more should famine make us leave God's will should blessings and abundance make us stay. We need to stay because God told us to. And we see he goes there... And we see there was a foe there. Notice, as I've already said in verse 10, and there was a famine in the land. You say, what do I do when I attack the crisis of famine? you ever been there spiritually in your life? I mean, thank God, man, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. man. I ain't feeling from God. I'm reading my Bible, not really getting much. And, and you ever been there in a famine? Where just you're not getting what you think? All of a sudden, the danger's on. You start blaming everything else. Well, I've been there. I blame the preacher, and I am the preacher at our church. <laughs> hey, man, what's he? Man? he needs to do a better job. Uh, leave there. Times I left, saying, I don't even know what I preached on. I know they didn't get anything. You ever been there in a famine? Amen. And you know, famines can be for different things. It could be to season you, and to grow you. It's to teach you to depend. On god and it pushes you to what we find here the altar notice in verse 6 he removed thence the mountains pitching his tent and it says he went to bethel and there was on the west ai on the east and there he built an altar now it's interesting the word bethel beth house of el god so here on the west side's bethel the house of god that has uh some rich history uh, there, and it 's going to have rich history in the future, but we see there is Bethel. Notice on the east is Hei. Now what that word means in the Hebrew is actually a heap of ruin. In other words, right between the house of God and the heap of ruin, he builds an altar. Yes. Do you know this the altar? A lot of times it keeps us from just ruining ourselves. i right, 'm talking about as yes. god 's people. Yeah. Uh, even as God's people, when we leave the house of God, I'm telling you, a lot of times that bears that is when we go and get settled at an altar. The psalmist said in Psalm uh, chapter 72, he said, truly God is good to Israel, but he said, as for me, I, my feet's almost gone. You ever read that psalm and, and the psalmist goes down through there for about 12 verses and said, man, I start looking at the wicked and they're prospering and, and I start looking at myself and I'm struggling here. And, and man, I'm just, God, I'm having a hard time here. And he gets down to about verse number 12. He says, until <laughs> I went into the sanctuary of my God and there I understood. There's some things God can settle in your heart at an altar. Altar. I mean, that's where you want to settle some things. And, and it could be an altar while the man of God is preaching and God buries something in your heart and seals some things. I mean, just let it bury there. It may be a time that God speaks to you. Man, you just go hug around the altar. Man, go to lay over, hug around the altar. I like that. Settle some things at an altar. We're going to see that the altars was big and the Israelis' life. You know why? Because an altar is a meeting place between you and God. And we need to have one. It's where we settle. Anytime my faith gets shaken, I start checking my prayer life and I realize I don't have much of one. Man, there's some things you can settle at an altar. There's some things you're, you're, you know, the famine and the foe can be wrecking on you, man. You could just be going through some things and you go get at an altar and allow God to start speaking through you through His Word. I mean, a lot of times you don't even have much to say. Man, you start reading in the Bible and God just starts speaking to you, man, and giving you that faith that you need. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And God's Word will seal some things and settle some things in your heart and life. You know, I was thinking about along the same lines, you know, Nehemiah. When Ezra and Nehemiah, now you fast forward... And you go through the patriarchs, and you know you go through the judges and come to the kings of, of Israel, and, and you'll find that the first three kings, there was a United Kingdom, then they separated, and due to their idolatry, the North 722 goes into captivity with Assyria. 586 to south, under Jerusalem, they go into captivity under Babylon, and that was where the promise. And God told Jeremiah, you buy some land here in Jerusalem because in 70 years you're coming back here. And and so so in 70 years they come back. Now here's the interesting thing. They say at that time there was a dispersion of almost 2 million Jews that had left Jerusalem. It was barren. It was desolate. Now, at that time the Babylonians was the world power. They had been taken over by the... Persians Cyrus the king comes on and he says I really don't want these Jews uh in Babylon because they took over Babylon I don't want to carry them back to Mesopotamia he said who among you can go back Ezra chapter 1 back to your city and you can rebuild your temple you can rebuild the walls you can go back when you looked actually the numbers given there only 49,000 right. go back only 49,000, that's a small. And the majority of them was a generation that had never seen Jerusalem. They were born in captivity. Matters of fact, some of the old-timers had got to go back there, and when that first temple was built under Zerubbabel, it says that the young people were shouting the victory, but the older people was quiet. And you couldn't distinguish between the shouting and the crying. And let me just say this. Old time. You know, a lot of people, look, I'm old-time religion, all right? and I stick there but some people almost because see Haggai come by the way you read on with the story and the prophet Haggai come and told those old men you stop your crying yeah. because what these young boys Yeah they didn't remember Solomon's temple but what they had man in Zerubbabel they were doing something for God and Haggai said you consider your ways men you stop that crying because this is the temple that Jesus himself is going to step in because that was the temple that Herod renovated for 46 years. You know, when you and I are about God's work living by faith, what we're doing is eternal work. I mean, getting at it till He comes. A life of faith will settle you when the foes are around, when the famine's around. It's life of faith and what God, the altar, will settle you. It said He built an altar. That tells me that there is some effort in the altar. We need to put effort in our relationship with Him. There's an effort. Most of the altars that they would build, uh, especially after the the sons of Jacob, would be 12 stones that they would build. Many of them were multiple stones. They would go and start placing memorial stones. And they would build it. And there's some things that we need to have effort to go into to settle ourselves at these altars. Aren't you glad for the life of faith? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit can work in His Word and settle your heart at different times in your life? So we see here that it is settled at an altar. The altar is the very thing that you and I need to grab onto. It was the horns of the altar in the Old Testament that went to the north, south, east, and west. And when someone was in trouble, they'd go and they'd grab the horns of the altar. Many times we need to go there as God's people in these days. Listen, folks, you and I are on the same side. I'm pastoring down in Hickory, but we're about to see some turbulent days. They're on us. Yes. They're going to be on. We can't even distinguish, ladies and gentlemen, if men should be able to use which bathroom or not. Right. A friend of mine is putting up over at Fred T. Ford High School, right down below. the way, a new, uh, They're doing a new football facility. They're putting three locker rooms in. And the guy that's over it, who's over the business, come to me, and he said, I was looking at the blueprints and thinking, there's locker room one, there's locker room two, but they're putting a third locker room in. Third locker room's not going to satisfy this crowd. They don't want to go into a unit. No, 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 no. They want to go in. We're living in a day like that. We're living in a day that when I stand up against that stuff, that I'm being told I'm in the wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing. <laughs> Your pastor is going. To stand. We're going to stand. We're not going to go ahead and decide now. We're going to stand. The Bible told us there's coming a the day when they call the good evil and the evil good. We, we blame a shooting, uh, you know, on thing on AR-15s and, and, and AR-10. That's not the problem. I mean, that's not the problem. And folks, we're just there where our compass as a country is so just. And you and I as God's people, it's in the middle of that. And we're trying to say, no, 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 that's north. <laughs> yes. No, 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 there's a morality here. Right. Yeah. And people just look at it like, and you say, where you get that? God's word. What makes you think the Bible? You know, used to, a man used to think and look at the Bible, have some respect for the house of God, have respect for that. Not anymore. <laughs> no, it's not there. And you and I is called to live a life of faith in the middle of the foes. In the middle of the universities, it's teaching our kids that people like me and your past, we're crazy, we're weak, we're just building, we're propping up on stuff. Have you ever studied evolution? As an apologist, I, I, I teach on that stuff, and I'm telling you, that stuff's a blender. Anybody that could believe that we come from a... I took our kids to the zoo the other day, and we go down there, and that's, you know, and they're full of the evolution. And I just wanted to debate the guys, but, I, you know, I was there. that's just it's a blender stuff. I mean, there's just no common sense. We're in the middle of all that. We're, in, we're just in the middle of some things. But you know what? God will enable us. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. God will enable us to perform His ministry until He comes. And man, we need to live this life of faith, wait patiently until He comes and gets us. Amen? And just stay true. Listen, God had a remnant under Ahab. I mean, He was using Obadiah to hide Him. Up in caves. He couldn't find Elijah. I mean, Elijah was doing the perfect will of God right underneath Jezebel's nose. (laughs) And man, God can touch us and we can get the work done in these days. Matter of fact, it's in these days that we need to be more dependent on God than ever before. And God can do great things with people from solid rock living the life of faith. Starts with the call. It is satisfied with a tent. And it's settled at an altar. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word this afternoon. God, I pray that You'll take these truths. And God, as we are, as a family, as brothers and sisters, as part of the church, God, in these days that we're faced with famine and foe, God, would You give us the the resolve, the fortitude, God, to put one foot in front of the other by faith and trust You. God, right in the midst, God, we thank You for the call. And God, continue to call us to ministries and to places of service. God, we're thankful, God, that it is satisfied with a tent. I'm glad, God, You've got things to satisfy our soul that this world knows nothing of. And may we bask in that tonight that our sins are forgiven. God, that we have peace in our souls. God, we thank You, O oh God, for the fact that it could be settled with an altar. Thank You for prayer. and God, may we engage in it. And God, may You settle our souls to stand for that is right and to fulfill the will of God until You come. Thank You for this church. Thank You for what they mean. Thank You for the 34 years of service. Give them another 34. God, bless Pastor Steins and his membership. In Jesus' name, amen.